I thought this week I would use this handheld mic. John Jackson told me it makes me hip if I use this. So I'm going to test it out, see how I like it. Sweet. So we've been going through um, the whole Bible and seeing how the gospel is threaded throughout it, hence the name The Thread. And last week, or two weeks ago, Jamal introduced Jesus into the picture, finally. Um, We got to see his birth and what he was doing, or what he came to do, what his ministry is all about. And so this week, we get to see essentially the start of his ministry, the initiation of what he came here to do, um, was his baptism. So, there's Bibles in front of y'all. Hopefully you brought your Bible. Um, turn to Matthew 3 for me. And we're, gonna, we're just going to jump straight into it. I'll give you all a second to turn there. Or if you want to do on your phone, that's cool too. So, in Matthew 3, we have the introduction of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, I know y'all have heard, I don't like this right here, y'all have heard of who John the Baptist is. He's this kind of odd fellow. Um, He's this guy that is dressed in uh, camel hair. My wife is back there laughing at me. Shout out to Ashley. Say, what, what? She's been wanting a shout out. Um, He's dressed in camel hair. He eats grasshoppers and honey. He's a weird dude. He lives in the wilderness, um, and he's kind of he's kind of counterculture. He's kind of I don't say kind of. He really is counterculture. He really is very different than what what the Jewish culture was at that day. He was going against a lot of things that were normal for them. So, hopefully y'all are there. I'm going to just start reading. We're going to read all the way through chapter 3. It's not too long. It's only 17 verses. It says, Now in those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, and this is a prophecy in the Old Testament, that is talking about John the Baptist. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all of Judea and all the districts around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, You brought of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bearing fruit to keep, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered, saying to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us real quick. And Father, I just thank you so much uh, for speaking to us in the ways that you do. I thank you so much that we have a book that we can turn to and just get your word out of. So, Father, I pray that you will be, uh, man, just here tonight speaking to us. Uh, allow us to, to just hear your word. Allow our hearts to be open, our minds to be open to the things that you're doing, the things that you have done, what they mean, all of that. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So, right off the bat, we're introduced to John the Baptist. I already said that he was going against the culture. What he was doing by baptizing people was radically different than anything they had been doing um, in mainstream Judaism. So there were some other sects and some other people kind of doing things similar to him, but they were not open. Like, to be a part of that sect it was very difficult. You had to go through a long training. You had to devote your life to the teachings of this one teacher, all this kind of stuff. But what John was doing was saying, just come to me, repent of your sins. We're going to baptize you one time only, um, and this is what, what you're supposed to do. Um, I, I pointed that out when we were reading in verse 3 that this was prophesied in Isaiah that John was to come and lead the path for Jesus. So imagine that as like the framework for his whole ministry. John the Baptist is this figure, this really weird dude. I mean, I just imagine he smelled really bad. He had really nappy hair. Nobody really wanted to hang out with him because he's just weird. Um, and he is the guy that gets to initiate Jesus. He's the guy that comes and sets the path straight. I mean, just kind of think about, like, you don't have to look good to do that kind of stuff. That's kind of besides the point of what we're talking about tonight. But you don't have to be pretty. You don't have to be perfect to be able to work for the kingdom. I just think that's cool that, that it was this hippie doing it all. Um, but John's ministry was a ministry that introduced this new idea of baptism, of repentance. And his message that he was delivering to all the Jewish people um, was kind of a scary message. To be honest, it was a message of wrath, um, fire, like crazy stuff that, that doesn't sound too exciting doesn't sound like something that you want to get on board with. 
Um, and his resolution for, for that, to protect you from God's wrath, was the repentance of sin. You had to turn away from your old ways and you would be saved from God's wrath. And this was for the Jewish people. Now, I'm sure most of y'all have a pretty good understanding of who the Jews were, why they were special. They were God's chosen people. But John is coming in and he's doing something that is kind of throwing all of that out. He's kind of saying, I know that we're God's chosen race, we're the special people, but we're getting away with that, or we're, we're doing away with that, that this is to an individual level now of you need to repent of your sins. You are not saved just because you are a Jew. You're not saved just because your parents were a Jew. You're not saved just because your grandparents were a Jew or any of that kind of stuff. You, you'd be saved from this because you repent. And so in the Old Testament, we had the Old Covenant that the Jews were under that God made with Abraham and all of his people. And then right here in the middle, we have John the Baptist making the path straight, making the way for the Lord to lead into a new covenant that we get with Jesus. And when the Pharisees came to John to get baptized, at that time they had kind of created the mainstream Jewish culture. And they were kind of really pushing their doctrine down everybody's throat. And they come to him and, and John says, don't say that you are safe just because Abraham is your father. Don't say that you are, you're okay and you're secure um, because you're a son of Abraham. And it's almost like he's, he's kind of reading their minds. And I can only imagine that, that the Pharisees had this mindset of God is faithful. God fulfills all promises. God will uphold his covenant. He made a covenant with the Jewish people. So I'm safe. Like he's not going to go back on his covenant because it's a covenant. You don't break a covenant. Um, and then... John has this really boss response that he says, yeah, the Lord is going to be faithful. Of course the Lord is going to be faithful to his covenant, but he doesn't need you to be faithful. He doesn't need you to be a son of Abraham. He can take these rocks right here and make these sons of Abraham, and the covenant will still be fulfilled. So it is not about your heritage. It's not about who your parents are that saves you anymore. It's about repenting of our sins. It's about our individual, our soul, one-on-one with the Lord. This sounds pretty similar to Nacogdoches, Texas. Sounds pretty similar to the Bible Belt. Sounds pretty similar to America. There's this idea that just because your parents raised you in a church, did a baby dedication when you were a child, you're saved. Just because you're here on a Wednesday night means you're good. Just because you go to a school where everybody's a Christian, you're saved. 
or just because you were baptized as a child, you're saved. That's not true. That's exactly what John the Baptist was saying to these, these Pharisees, that you cannot claim those things for your salvation. You cannot claim the things that your parents have done. You cannot claim the good works that you have done. You cannot claim um, whatever baptism you went through, whatever dedication, any of that. You can't claim that kind of stuff for your salvation. The only thing that you can claim for your salvation is the repentance of your sin. Salvation comes from a humble repentance of our sinful nature. It comes through a confession of the need for a Savior and the declaration of Jesus Christ as King. Again, I want you all to see that this is the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It's not established quite yet. But John the Baptist is the, the forerunner of it. He's setting the path straight. He's starting to change the game. That's essentially what John the Baptist was, was a game changer. He was going in there and breaking down the old covenant. And so, John, he, he dogs on the Pharisees. He says, his boss responds to him, I don't know if they actually got baptized. It doesn't really say. They might have just decided to leave after that point. Um, But then he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one coming after me that is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then, sure enough, Jesus shows up. Jesus arrived from Galilee. This is verse 13. Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. And now we are at one of the hardest questions to answer. Why did Jesus get baptized? Any of y'all have some ideas? Anybody want to throw out some ideas? Why Jesus was baptized? No? Sweet. Then we can start with a fresh slate tonight. Um, It doesn't make sense that Jesus was baptized. Remember, this is a baptism of repentance. It's for sinners. It's for people who have done something wrong. Jesus is not a sinner. Jesus is sinless. Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. And so this doesn't make sense for Jesus to... Go to John to be baptized. And we see that when he walks up to John, and John tries to prevent him. John says, no, 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 I'm not baptizing you. I'm not going to baptize you. That is so inappropriate. That is so wrong for me to baptize you because you're sinless. I need to be baptized by you. Even at this time, John confesses that he's a sinner and that he needs to be baptized by Jesus. And then Jesus says, permit it at this time, for, this is the, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So that was Jesus' answer for being baptized. And at that point, John baptized him. But we still don't really get a good idea 
as why a perfect being, why a sinless man needed a baptism of repentance. That doesn't make any sense. Just like everything that Jesus does throughout his ministry doesn't make any sense. Just like him going to the cross and dying doesn't make any sense. But Jesus is coming in here and he is just changing everything. He is just getting rid of all the, the garbage that is in this world. And so he tells John, permit it, this needs to happen for us to fulfill all righteousness. Note that he doesn't say, this needs to happen for me to fulfill all righteousness. He says, for us to fulfill all righteousness. So this is a two-part thing. This is Jesus and John. Jesus' baptism needs to happen for the both of them together to fulfill all righteousness. I really don't have a very good answer as to what that means. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't figured that out. I don't know why he says it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I hopefully have a good enough understanding to try to explain that, but I don't know the fullness of what that means. But Jesus' baptism showed us Four things. It showed us his submission to the Father's will. It showed us his willingness to take on all humiliation. Jesus is a perfect, sinless man. He's God. How, humil- how humiliating is that for God to go take part in a baptism of repentance. That is, that's shameful almost. But Jesus is willing to take that on to save us. So it showed his willingness to take on all humiliation. It initiated his ministry. And it was his first association with us sinners. Jesus' whole ministry was about associating with sinners. He says, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. He eats dinner with the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He didn't come for the people who said they had it all figured out. He came for the broken people. He came for the people that needed a Savior. And this was his first association in his ministry with sinners. And I think that's very intentional that this, this is the first association um, because it shows the first step at developing a relationship with the Lord. The first step is repentance. First step is an acknowledging that we have sinned, acknowledging that we have a sinful nature and submitting to the Lord and His will. So what better way to start the ministry than to go through a baptism of repentance to show that 
This is how you do it. I also think that uh, through Jesus going through that baptism, it affirmed John, John's ministry. It affirmed that, yeah, this is what this guy is doing. This is right. Not what the Pharisees are doing. And Jesus makes that pretty clear throughout his whole ministry that he doesn't like the Pharisees. Um, not what all these other people are doing, but what John is preaching is right. Because what better way to affirm that ministry than to have God go and submit himself to that, go and take part in that ministry? I mean, I feel like there's no better way to, to affirm something. But, again, it, it, it doesn't make any sense that Jesus would do this. Why couldn't Jesus just come there and say, John, you're doing a good thing. Keep up the good work. I'm going to go start saving people's lives. Why did he have to come and submit himself so low to say, I'm going to go through this baptism that's strictly meant for sinners. I'm going to go through this that's meant for everybody who has wronged me. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through the motions and I'm going to do it with happy heart. I'm going to do it with a good attitude. In his baptism, he associated himself with us sinners and placed himself among the guilty. Not for his own salvation, which Jesus didn't need salvation, but for ours. Not for his guilt, because he was innocent, but for ours. Not because he feared the wrath to come, but to save us from it. The message of wrath that John is preaching um, and that Jesus comes and saves us from is something that we don't interact with um, much here. We don't think about God having wrath. I remember almost a month ago when I preached, I talked about how it was God's heart to figure out a way to show mercy to his people. It's God's heart to remove his wrathful heart, if that makes sense. Y'all remember that Jesus wanted to come. Jesus wanted to be the um, substitute for our sin, that the father delighted in killing his son because he knew that he get to show us mercy. But wrath is a very much real thing. God's wrath is something that one day will come upon people, will come upon this earth. And I don't want y'all to think that God is an angry old man that just sits up there ready to strike people down. But it's because we're sinners. It's because this world is sinful that God has to do away with that. And so this message that that John is preaching, I think is a really important thing. Um, and it's a fine line to walk of, you can have too much of that theology, too much of the wrathful side of God in your head, um, and not, not enough of his love and affection. But you can also have too much of his love and affection and not enough of the other side, his wrathful side. But I think it's important to remember 
what type of God we're dealing with. That he's going to do some pretty crazy things. And he wants to save us from that. He wants to, to deliver us from that. And that comes through us repenting. That comes through us saying, these sins that I've done, I take full responsibility for them. I, I deserve all punishment for those things. And I'm going to turn away from those things because I want to follow you. I don't want to live a, live a sinful life anymore. And that's the start of developing a relationship with Jesus. That's the start of developing a relationship with the Lord is by acknowledging that we are sinful and that there's nothing that we can do to come to him on good terms. And so this was Jesus' first association with us sinners, with us as broken people who need a Savior, people who are guilty, people who need to repent of the things that we've done. And he comes and he says, look, I'm for the sinners. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get these people back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to lead these people to deliverance. I'm going to do whatever it takes to save these people from the wrath that I know is to come, that has to come. So Jesus is baptized, not because he's a sinner, but because he associates with us sinners. Because he shows that the first step is repentance. And then after Jesus is baptized, we get this really dramatic scene. It starts in verse 16. It says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, the voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's a pretty intense scene. God has been silent for 400 years. Sorry, Heath. Um, He has not spoken to his people for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes and he's baptized, and boom, I don't think this was just a vision. Everybody saw this. Everybody that was there heard this. Saw a dove that represented the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus and heard God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's lots of speculation as to what that dove was, why the Holy Spirit descended upon him at that time. Um, is that when he became the Son of God? Was he just a man before and this Holy Spirit possessed him somehow? And all these things walk the line of heresy, walk the line of being wrong. Um, Some of those things are true that the Holy Spirit enables him to go out and do his ministry. But I think something that we can pull from this that's very obvious that can apply strictly to our lives 
is that this whole thing is just a model. Jesus going and being baptized is a model. The dove descending upon Jesus is a model. The Father saying, this is my Son with whom I am pleased, is a model of what happens in our lives. Because Jesus is associating with us sinners the things that Jesus does. They're models for our lives. And so when we repent of our sins and we follow Jesus as our Lord, the Holy Spirit descends upon us. You know, that's the mark of of being a Christian is you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And then forever and always, you have a father that is going to say, this is my son or daughter with whom I am pleased. When you bear the mark of a Christian, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you have like this blanket of Christ's righteousness just covering you. And so when the Father looks down at you, he doesn't see the sinner. He doesn't see the broken person. He sees Christ. And what he said to Christ is what he says to you when you become a Christian. This is my son or daughter with whom I am pleased. But none of this happens until you take the first steps of repentance. None of this happens until you turn to the Lord and trust Him as your Savior. Again, salvation comes from a humble repentance of a sinful nature, the confession of a need for a Savior, and the declaration of Christ as King. And when you do all those things, you get the Holy Spirit. You get a Father that says, this is my son or daughter with whom I am pleased. My wrath will not spill out upon that person. They are saved. They're welcome into my family. They're going to rule alongside me. I'm going to have a relationship with these people. I love these people. That's what happens through repentance. So, Real life application. It's, it's good to know that there was a man some 2,000 years ago that dressed weird and ate weird food and did weird things and that Jesus came to him and he was baptized by him. That's all good information to have. That's all nice Bible knowledge. But what do we actually do with this? Like, how do we actually take this and go apply it to our lives? Well, first, we remember that there's absolutely nothing that I can do. There's nothing my parents can do. There's nothing about the environment that I live in that makes me a Christian. The only thing that will save you, the only thing that will make you a Christian It's through humble repentance and a submission to a Savior. And so we we get that lie out of our head that we are in Nacogdoches, Texas, that we're saved. We get the lie out of our head that we go to Central Heights, so we're saved. We get those thoughts out of our head because that is keeping you from true salvation. And we listen to the words that this Bible says. That we must repent, we must submit 
We must declare Him as King. And then we see what we get with that. And the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And then in the next passage, it's the story of Jesus going out into the wilderness and being tempted. It said the Spirit led Jesus out. And so the Spirit comes upon Jesus and enables him to go and do his ministry. The Spirit leads Jesus throughout his ministry. When we repent and when we become Christian, we get that exact same Spirit. I mean, I know I don't share the story of having a dove descend upon me and hearing an audible voice of God saying, this is my son with whom I am pleased. That didn't happen when I became a Christian. But that happened in my soul. That happens every day. The Lord says, the Lord looks upon me and says, this is my son with whom I am pleased. And that spirit enables me to go out and do ministry. Go out and spread the gospel of Jesus. So, I want y'all to remember that. I want y'all to remember that your salvation it's not going to come from coming here every Wednesday night. It's not going to come from you having good conversations at your lunch table. It's not going to come from praying over your meal every night. Your salvation is going to come when you acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior. Your salvation is going to come when you acknowledge that you are a sinner that needs to repent of the things that you have done. And when you declare Jesus as your King, that's when you get salvation. That's what John was preaching. That's what Jesus was modeling. All of those things. So this was the last time that we are going to have a big refuge this semester. We'll start back up next semester. But what better way to, to close out this semester than to see the initiation of Jesus' ministry? And that we've got so much more to come. But take that home with you. I mean, if you have never repented of your sins, then tonight's the night to do that. I mean, if, you, if you're sitting there thinking that you're good because you've had perfect attendance to church, tonight's the night to fix that. If you've never declared Jesus as your Lord, then tonight is the night to do that. I don't want to say these things to, to scare you. I, I don't believe that scare tactics are the way that God wants to share the gospel. But it is true that I mean, there is no good things for the people that, that don't follow the Lord. All good things come to those who proclaim Him as Lord. All good things come to those who submit to His will. And all of that comes through repentance. 
and being washed clean of those sins, turning from that old life to the new life. And we experience life through that. 